Hoffman trying to get a glancing hitter towards it. Will come from Mukhtar. Lays up here for Anunga. Comes through the area. And it's a goal. CJ Sabong. The thrill of victory. The agony of defeat. The music, courtesy of Moon Taxi, is thrilling. This show, courtesy of two people who have covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines, hopefully not causing you agony. This is Club and Country, and I'm Nashville SC Radio Voice West Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. Well, it was uh, a mixed week, certainly, from the highest highs. You heard the CJ Sapong equalizer against Atlanta in the U.S. Open Cup, courtesy of ESPN Plus, to the lowest lows, and Tim, one of the least effective matches Nashville has played in its MLS era. Yeah, it does seem like Gary Smith kind of made a decision to prioritize the Open Cup for one week, at least, but, but yeah. potentially longer than that. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but... He, he prioritized the midweek game over the weekend game, and that's fine. But I think certainly the, the intent in doing that was to scrape out a draw or possibly even have those late subs eke out a win in Houston. And obviously that is not what happened. He didn't plan for the Wednesday match to go 120 minutes either. So it was, it was tough. Yeah, the only person who planned that was the assistant referee on the other side on Walker Zimmerman's goal. And yes, we will get into that. We're not going to forget about Wednesday. Uh, somebody even asked us, uh, you know, can we can we just skip Saturday's game and just talk about last Wednesday? And I think a whole lot of people were were in that boat. Uh, certainly, I'm looking back now to see who that was because I want to make sure we give credit there. Wonder if it was why I put it in the rundown. It's in uh, there. Okay, yeah, we'll uh, we'll give credit there. Uh, yeah, and, and going 120, 120 minutes in midweek certainly, I think, changed really the dynamic. You already are playing a congested schedule. You've got injuries. And looking back, Tim, it may have been the flattest we've seen a Nashville team there in that second half. Up a man against Houston, but still mm-hmm. just not really consistently threatening at all. When the lineup came out before the game, I was walking my dogs. I was not ready to, to put out my lineup graphic. But I assumed it was it was kind of a highly defensive 4-4-2 with Alex Mwil playing one wing and Eric Miller at right back. and. Honestly, might that have been the better choice than trying to go at the back three without Walker Zimmerman? It's, it's just not the same when you lack his athleticism in the middle of the park there. And I think that's part of what led to um, maybe both of Houston's goals, honestly. And that's something that uh, I think Gary Smith would, would take back if he had the chance to do it again. But in the big picture, it's something that he knew was going to be a possibility when uh, they're on the heels of that Atlanta game. We like to tell people that we are the Never Too High, Never Too Low podcast, and we get the chance to present the ultimate case study this week. (laughs) (laughs) Such a memorable match. Some would call it legendary match on Wednesday, 3-2 win. Of course, the comeback against Atlanta. And we're going to get into Nashville SC's history of comebacks in the early shout. But then, of course, multi-call losses, also kind of rare. And we'll get into the history of doing that for Nashville SC as the boys in gold made a, a dose of history on either side. Uh, this past uh, this past week in our interview today we're going to talk montreal montreal right now the uh oh yes i'm going to read this verbatim eve powell of the ball is round is here to talk montreal impact please do not proofread and notice i gave you the old name thanks <laughs> wrote the rundown today and we'll always call montreal the impact and there's a rebrand apparently coming so they may get back to being the impact we'll see what the impact is of uh, that transition uh, here coming up but Eve is great she's been following uh, Montreal soccer uh, in whatever name and form it took since 2015 been covering the club for a couple years now for the ball is round a podcast that will feature actually me this week as well talking about Nashville to them Uh, so make sure you give them a listen but give her a listen in the interview today she's going to go really deep strong strong tactical knowledge and, and a good intelligent follower of the game um, in the mailbag, lots of questions, but really they boil down to depth. A lot of questions about depth, injuries, uh, congestion, rotation, what Nashville can do about that, whether it's personnel 
or tactics and another a few other great questions as well uh, from you guys uh, as always as we tend to get even more after the losses than the wins and so we got uh, plenty uh, and then we'll go outside in and we'll take a look at the how, how the conferences are shaping up uh, it's a very busy couple of weeks with midweek matches u.s open cup still going on as well who's handling these things well who might rise up the table and and surprise us or uh, or recover a la new england or seattle two teams outside playoff position but first tim club and country is sponsored by ml rose and I was I was very happy to see your your post game sad beer <laughs> yes, <it was. laughs> the other day. So uh, we 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 know that they're still pouring beers down there at ML Rose Eight South, and of of course that's something that we love to hear because uh, we love beers and we love burgers. As a resident of, as you call it, the best and most important neighborhood of Nashville, one negative I have is that there aren't a lot of places that are open past about ten p.m. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, you got a couple of bars on Fifty First now that are ML Rose is, and actually I went to the Eighth Avenue location. I went to ML Rose twice that day. Uh, actually, and it went three times in the past week. Um, I went uh, before the uh, the match. We called the away match from Jonas Park, from the radio booth there on the monitor. Club did a great job setting all that up for us. First time we had done that. But Morose, of course, right on the way. So I picked up food there. Uh, and then afterward, called my wife. Hey, you hungry? There's one place open. It's ML Rose. <laughs> and she said, sure. So I had the, had the beer while waiting. Crucially, the beer was after the game. I don't Harry carry it and drink before the soccer matches ever, unless you're talking about a whole lot of, of hot tea. Uh, but also the most important ML Rose visit, Tim, this week was before the U.S. Open Cup. We had a great watch party. There were dozens of Nashville SC fans. And that's not one of those where you say dozens and you really just mean a dozen. Like the whole place was gold. It was packed. And I asked the people there, I said, are you getting really good crowds before and after Nashville matches? And they said, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Uh, I parked, I actually rode with our good friend Mike Meredith over to to the match. Uh, Mike, doing great photography, by the way, for you on the website. Uh, had a great iconic shot, I would say, of Hanwala Buana jumping onto so Ethan Zubak's back, or the Ethan Zoo back after his, uh, his winner. You You're learning. Yeah, I, I am <laughs> indeed. It, he had a great photo of that, but drove me over there. And then I walked back. I walked back from the stadium to ML Rose. And it was ben told you, man. You nice, can do it. short, easy walk. They got to work on that sidewalk situation on Craighead just a little bit, but that's not Emil Rose's fault, and it's still a good, safe walk. Uh, it was just a tremendous, tremendous experience seeing so many folks. Gave tickets away to Trey. He'll be going to the Montreal match Wednesday. Uh, Tim, that, that sense of community was strong, and it was great to see so many folks, many of whom went because we recommended it and had the watch party. Some people, just because that's how close this place is, it's become a go-to for folks, even folks who have the misfortune of never heard, having heard our podcast. Yeah, and we, we support ML Rose not just because they pay us to do so, but also because they are legitimately interested in having that sense of community and being a place that soccer fans can go. And we're, we're very happy to have places in this city that is that is not always embraced soccer with open arms that, that really do want to embrace soccer with open arms. And ML Rose is one that um, we're very happy to have sponsor the pod. And had a nice pitch invasion lager as well, the Nashville SC beer. I know Fat Bottom's not a sponsor. We'll work on that. But... They do have good good local beer and and supporting uh, the local team as well with that beer. So ML Rose, as always, ambiance, great food, great location to the new stadium. All right, time for the early shout. Mukhtar will swing it in. Good bit on it. Zimmerman, 2-2. Hit the woodwork early in this second half, but he's converted this time. And the designated player, the newly minted designated player, has drawn this round of 32 tie level. Well, I think this is getting called offside. Well, Nashville SC went down one goal, then two goals at Geodis Park in the U.S. Open Cup, but they scored three times in regulation. Two of them even counted. And Ethan Zubak gave Nashville the winner 
kind of 4-2 unofficially <laughs> uh, in extra time. But we got to go back to the Walker-Zimmerman goal. Again, you wrote the rundown, and you, you, you insult my intelligence by making me ask you whether that Zimmerman <laughs> goal should have counted. Instead, I'll say, how terrible of a call was that? And then I've got my own story to tell about that. But just, just an egregious miss. So to, to, to maybe get into the head of the assistant referee, which we have to do um, because pro referees has not uh, responded to a pool reporter comment, which they um, typically those take a little bit longer when they don't have a very good answer for the question. So that probably answers it a little bit. I do think the AR was flagging because um, he believed that Eric Miller had been offside and was obstructing an opponent. Um, at the point of, of the ball being played, in which case he would have been legitimately offside. It would have been kind of an illegal pick play. The fact that by the time Hani Mukhtar kicks the ball, Eric Miller is back a couple yards onside is something that maybe wasn't, wasn't exactly, uh, they weren't the most attentive to that, I guess I should say. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everything shows that Miller was a couple yards onside by the time the ball was played. And of course, Walker Zimmerman was a good like five or six yards and, and had a full head of steam. But um, if that call had cost Nashville the game, it would have been quite the controversy. It's still pretty controversial. Fortunately, um, you know, we, we try to limit our, our complaining about the poor, <laughs> poor officiating when it does pop up. But mm -hmm. um, this was a pretty crucial call and a, and a pretty important game. And, and in a cup match, it's not the difference between a win and a draw or a draw and a loss. It's the difference between surviving and advancing or, or, dying and not advancing, I guess. Yeah, well, and, and Nashville's legs died against Houston, I think partially because of that. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you make the right call there. There's no extra time. And it may change a couple of roster decisions for Gary Smith uh, at the weekend as well. I, I think it was it was a consequential call, even if it didn't ultimately matter for the result of the game. But And, and, and by the way, I was sitting level with the assistant referee in the front row. Um, I was not on the radio call. There was no radio call Wednesday. So I had the same angle he had egregious and usually when a team thinks they got away with something they'll kind of eye over at the referee a little bit as they're running to celebrate at the corner uh walker and, and his crew they were running right toward us to the flag didn't look once at the assistant referee they were shocked they were shocked that the call came and all it was i think honey who spotted it and was like immediately got in the face of the ar which i don't mm -hmm. recommend but uh yeah it was it was egregious i can tell you from the exact angle we had another shout to to the various photographers including my capturing connie's like shocked face about this as, as he's appealing to the AR. he was the first one to see because he was a little further away from the celebration and yeah mm -hmm. not, not pleased anyway nashville did manage to find that stoppage time equalizer from a familiar source cj sapong is third of the year for nashville second in as many matches at that point and his first in the u.s open cup tim writes here since a 3-0 philly win against chicago fire back in 2018 yeah he hasn't always been sharp this year and as we would see later in the week it's it's not sharpness that is necessarily cj's most important quality it's his motor he manages to be in the right place at the right time and um you know it's, it's hard to tell exactly you know from all the replays whether uh, he even saw the ball coming that he ended up heading into the back of the goal. But when you're in the right place, good things are going to happen for you. From glorious to gross. I will just say it. It was, and that's not me. That's the characterization most of this team. This is given. not what I wrote in the rundown. What if you're going to drag that's me true. for what? I'm going to have to clarify each comment and whether or not you, you put it down here. Uh, but I'm always if it's a if it's alliteration, it's probably me. Um, Nashville with the two no loss in Houston after making five changes from the U.S. Open Cup win, and I mean Nashville just just wasn't sharp at all. A listless performance, and again, that's not excessive criticism that's basically quoting what gary smith said after the match and worse than than not 
being sharp, the players still looked tired. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when you say, look at Alex Muel, he's one of the guys who started both games, but he came out at halftime of the second one to get Hani Mukhtar back onto the pitch. When Alex Muel is unable to play 90 minutes in a game, that dude's like the Energizer Bunny. You know there's fatigue happening if that's the case. Um, CJ Sapong and Eric Miller didn't start on Wednesday, but both of them got over an hour thanks to the extra time and the stoppage time of, of se- the second half and, and both halves of stop- of extra time. So they looked gassed on Saturday, even though they came out and, and, and you know, put in a shift. It was not a, a sharp, a sharp Nashville team. Do you think that Gary Smith played too strong a side in the U.S. Open Cup? I think he made a decision. Um, you know, I, I mentioned it at the top, he made a decision to prioritize the U S open cup. And um, if you listen to last week's extra time, actually on, on Thursday, the, um, especially Dave Goss was saying, this is, this is a team that I, I expect to win the U S open cup. And mm-hmm. Charlie Davies actually said the same thing as well. And mm-hmm. if you prioritize the competition that you can win, it, it makes sense. Now, in terms of what it does for the Houston game, obviously at submarines, that game, the question is, how important is that Houston game in the grand scheme of your season? Because five U.S. Open Cup games versus a 34-game regular season is, is a very different calculus that you have to play with. And I think if Gary Smith wants to prioritize the Open Cup for these next four games, then sure, making that decision on this past Wednesday was the right one, too. Quickest route to continental competition and, and the next step forward for this club. I don't mind it either, and especially Atlanta if you're playing you know, it, it does. It does disappoint me because it seemed to be a, a capitulation in terms of, hey, I, I still feel like this team had been in supporter shield contention up until then. And that that was like, hey, we're not going to go for that one. We're going to go for the Open Cup, which is fine, too, of course. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm, yeah, I'd like to see a supporter shield contending Nashville team. Wouldn't wouldn't you? Of course. Of course. And it unfolds in a longer sense, you know, for, for mm-hmm. week after week after week, something to talk about and chase. It's still possible, of course, but but will be harder, especially if the club continues to prioritize the cup and who nick a nick a draw here if they can in, in those you know regular season matches in the meantime. We'll see what happens in Louisville here in, in, in about a week. Um Looking at the Gold Nuggets then, it's the second time Nashville had come from multiple goals down to win a game, but first time against a team not named Cincinnati. And <laughs> so, uh, so first time that counts, really. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so one time in league play and now one time in the Cup. And, uh, you know, down 2-0 pretty early on it, it, against that Atlanta team, it just didn't feel very likely. Uh, credit to Nashville for hanging in. It's, it's kind of follows something that we talked about last week when it comes to some of the misconceptions about Nashville or about a quote unquote Gary ball. Um, certainly they aren't coming from behind it a whole lot, but a big part of that is that they don't trail by multiple goals <laughs> in the first place. Um, they can be built for comebacks with the talent that they have. Um, obviously they can't do it twice in a week, but we saw that if you put on CJ Sapong to go out and, and, find that equalizer you have a guy who can go out and find the equalizer when they're fully healthy and rested this is a team that can mount a comeback against basically anybody but of course they couldn't do that in houston they concede in the 19th minute uh and uh then a penalty in the 30 sorry they concede in the 19th minute and uh i don't even know if that's right they concede early in the first half it's 16 that's what i thought okay concede in the 16th minute they go up a man in the 35th, a very fair red, in my opinion, to Adam Lundqvist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet they concede again via penalty on a Houston break and just never looked like they were ever going to threaten. However, not something that happens often. Their second multi-goal loss of the season uh, happened just once last year in New York against the Red Bulls, three times back in 2020, Atlanta, Orlando, and Columbus. Um, the Orlando match, the, the only time that Nashville lost by multiple goals while scoring, the others were all 2-0. 
And the fact that we have a very low N here, um, you know, we talk about being the, the small sample size podcast. That's good. You want to have a small sample size of, of situations where you need to dig yourself out of a terrible hole. Nashville just doesn't lose by multiple goals very often. And, but when it does happen, it, it, it's ugly. Um, it's not necessarily that the score is ugly. Like, like you mentioned, most of them have been to nothing, but it usually doesn't look very good. And that includes that Orlando match um, during the regular season back in 2020. It, it Nashville went up on a Dave Romney header and then mm-hmm. it just was terrible for the rest of the game. Yeah, it was not good. They were set up uh, to really try to, to stretch the length of the field against Orlando. Abu Dunladi played, uh, I believe, on, on a wing uh, next to next to the striker and uh, it just didn't it didn't come off uh, after that. They, they didn't couldn't hold the lead. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, Atlanta just a little bit this weekend. We'll leave the Montreal discussion to Eve Powell because she knows Montreal better than either of us. Uh, they are one of the hottest teams in Major League Soccer, maybe the hottest team. Stick around for that interview. But but Atlanta coming up, we know this Atlanta team. And just as Nashville played a pretty first-choice side against Atlanta in the U.S. Open Cup, Atlanta brought it as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Cisneros was on the pitch. He just scored a hat trick in the previous game. Uh, they they played Almada. They played a lot of their studs. They've had some real injury issues. Miles Robinson, you hate to see him out for as long as he's going to be out. It just plain sucks. Would have loved to have seen him against Nashville. He probably would have played against Nashville. They played an A side. So do we see a similar game then because we saw so much of this personnel against each other fairly recently? Or is it unfair to say that because Atlanta distorted the tenor of the match so early by scoring as early as they did? Yeah, I don't think we're going to see that similar a match, um, just in part because I think I feel like both teams realized it was kind of a war of attrition at a certain point, and they don't want to set themselves up for failure in, in subsequent games. Um, Nashville obviously has another Open Cup game pending shortly after that Atlanta match, but um, when you look at, I think, what Atlanta did in terms of, of what they did this uh, past Wednesday, I was kind of expecting them to 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 capitulate and play a bunch of kids because they have those injury issues. And it's, it's not a situation where they needed to stretch some of their guys. And it's not a situation where stretching some of their guys and earning the right to have to stretch them again in two weeks was something that made sense, but both teams went for it. Nashville got the win. And I do think that when it's not a cut match, when I think when a, when a draw is on the table, it might have a slightly different tenor as well. And we'll see exactly what Atlanta is going to do. I do think Nashville is going to, maybe do a little bit more rotating than Gary Smith did last week. I think he learned his lesson a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, we'll see because they they will want to beat Louisville City in the midweek. Yeah, they will. Uh, that Atlanta team has won just once in its last six games, sitting seventh in the table in the East. And I agree. I thought because they were on the playoff fringe, they might uh, consider rotating and focusing on league play. Now they'll be off next weekend, next midweek, because Nashville beat them. Uh, so they, they have the choice of being fresh and not having to rotate. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see how that unfolds. Uh, before we get to our interview with Eve Powell, let's go back to ML Rose, just like I did three times last <laughs> week. Uh, Tim, I, the, I got three different meals, by the way, when I went to mix it up a little bit. I got the waffle fries uh, and then actually ate a little more at Jodas Park, wanted to sample the concessions uh, last Wednesday. Uh, then went with um, the, I believe it's called the Mel, just a, a nice, plain, easygoing mm-hmm. cheeseburger. Um, and, uh, and then of course the animal burger to, to cap it all off and, and, and uh, soothe after, after the loss. Met a lot of great people though, including the bakers. Want to mention, uh, those guys. Awesome. Drive up from Chattanooga. They have season tickets. They drive up from Chattanooga for every match. And they also have Red Wolves season tickets down there in, in Chattanooga. And, and it had a great conversation with them, with Brian Miller, with so many other listeners there. But those are the ones that I sat and talked to the most. And it's telling to me that, that folks who are driving up now from out of town, who just happened upon our podcast a year ago on their long road trips, 
um, are, are you know going to Melrose now for every single match. They already know the bartender, and that's how quick. It's the second time they've been, and it's already a Cheers situation where the bartender knows their name. Uh, they are they are I think vegetarian, if not vegan, and have the Impossible Burgers, and they looked the same as mine. Uh, just just uh, a great experience for them, and that makes me feel good talking for twenty minutes about Melrose with them, and and how high they were on the place. So you got the animal burger and they got the non-animal burger. Then. That's true. Yeah. Right? <laughs> probably was inconsiderate to me actually to order the animal burger with a couple of vegetarians. Like they probably think I'm doubling down on that. Sorry, bakers. If you're driving up for, uh, for Montreal and or Atlanta, I apologize. <laughs> That's something that uh, I, th- I might've mentioned it before, but uh, I, it's important to mention because I'm not a vegetarian, but we, we, we keep a lower meat uh, consumption number in, in my family um, as, a, as a choice that we make. And ML Rose is very accommodating to that. Um, we keep a very high beer consumption in my mm-hmm. family, um, mm-hmm. all from me, and, and they are accommodating <laughs> to that as well. So we're very happy that they they are a, a very flexible restaurant and a very a, a very friendly environment as well. And it's something that, um, again, just the the old, the whole picture there and and the way that they've embraced us is is you know you couldn't ask for anything better from a sponsor. It really is awesome. The last thing I'll say about ML Rose on this episode is that um, well, I didn't realize they have a dog-friendly patio in the back, too, uh, on, at the 8th Avenue location. I, you mentioned friendly to people and people who are friendly to animals. Dogs as well. Don't eat the dogs either. But yeah, um, <laughs> the, the dogs are welcome on that back patio. And I actually hadn't spent much time back in that back space because um, usually I've been going to the location closer to my house in Charlotte. But that 8th Avenue location, the space in the back is really ample. There's a lot of room mm. back there. And that's where the watch parties have been for road matches. A lot of space to work with. So if you're worried about bringing your dog, like my German Shepherd, that's a lot of dog. But he could he could handle it. There's plenty of space back there. Um, he might steal your burger. But there's plenty of room still <laughs> back there. So uh, ML Rose, check him out. 8th Avenue location. Got a couple of match days this week to, to drop by before or after. And they're out, they're open late. They're open until midnight. Uh, most of those weeknights even. So... You can go late after matches and, and still get a chance to have a great burger and beer. Um, all right, let's move on now to our interview with with Eve Powell. Eve uh, is awesome. We have uh, become friends who who talk pretty much after every match. We'll message each other, and usually it's her saying something like, "Hey, Alistair had a good game. Alistair scored a goal. Uh, <laughs> do you miss him? Yes, of course. He's he's awesome. Friend of the pod, Alistair Johnston. Um, Eve is great. We'll talk about Alistair and a lot more in this interview. Eve Powell covers Montreal Impact slash CF Montreal. Yes, I called them the Impact. We're allowed to do that now, apparently, as Eve, as Eve tells us. Uh, she covers them for the Ball is Round podcast, a great one-stop shop for coverage of Montreal soccer. She's followed the club for the better part of a decade. Always enjoy her tactical analysis. Eve, great to talk to you. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really respect the work you do on Club and Country, and uh, I always enjoy hearing, especially from from US when we talk Canada soccer, US soccer, Nashville, whatever it may be. That's right. As uh, as somebody who who married a Canadian, I have a lot of respect for what happens north of the border. Um, and my French is terrible, but that's okay. We'll move beyond that. So, so you're telling us we can call Montreal the impact again if we want to. And we want to, by the way. Yeah, so it's it's been an interesting change. Obviously, I'm, I'm sure you're aware that Montreal changed uh, to a, a new club president. She's a former player. And uh, last year, there, there was a lot of erasure of the, the former identity. Um, like even in publications that were made, the old crest was taken out of the pictures and it was really intense. Um, but the owner himself, Joey Saputo, said, you know, people, of course, um, similar to, you know, the Canadians get called the Habs all the time. Yeah. 
um, you know, just the same as that people are going to kind of call it what they want. So the, the official name remains CF Montreal for sure. But um, the club is definitely looking at, at ways to kind of bring impact back into the, the identity of the, of the club in, in some way, shape or form. Good. And surely that will have a positive impact on the local uh, fan <laughs> culture as well. Getting back to that appreciation of that, of that history and, and the history is rich. The present tense is really good, though. Is Montreal now unbeaten? I believe in nine matches now in all competitions, right? And eight yeah. in league play. Uh, what's been the secret sauce to such a strong start for a club that I think pretty much everyone overlooked at the beginning of the year? Definitely continuity. Uh, obviously, last year there was a lot of tumult, not only around the rebrand, but as well Thierry Henry, um, you know, left at the kind of the last minute. Wilfred Nancy auditioned basically for his role and was granted the the proper head coach job uh, early on into the season. And there were, uh, there was a lot of player turnover as well last year. You know, you had guys like uh, Kamal Miller who were brand new. Georgie Mihailovic was brand new. Um, we had a lot of players coming in, particularly on the left side of the field who, who were brand new, not only to Montreal, a lot of them were also new to the league, which of course involves a big adaptation period. Um, so overall continuity as well, it was one of the youngest teams in the league last year. Typically the starting 11 would be among the youngest, but they've grown, they've matured, you know, those young players who maybe made some, some late mistakes in, you know, the 90 plus minutes last year have learned from that and they're not making those mistakes this year. And of course, one of those uh, fairly young players, uh, Alistair Johnston uh, traded to Montreal for, for a hefty sum uh, upwards of, of a million, more than a million, I believe, in, in total allocation money. How's he doing? Are you guys taking good care of him up, up there? And uh, how's he fit in? I, you know, we see the assists. We saw the goal. So tactical, tactically, he seems like he's really gelling with the squad. How's that adjustment period been for him? And are you glad to have him? Thrilled to have him. He is a wonderful, wonderful addition to this team. Um, he's playing, actually, in a role, not really like the role that he had with Nashville. So he's almost exclusively with the exception of, I think two matches in total um, played as a right wing back in Wilfred Nancy's preferred formation of what it's often a three, four, three. And I honestly wasn't hundred percent sure because Wilfred Nancy demands that his uh, full, his wing back story be a lot more involved um, offensively in, in mm -hmm. the attacking play. And I hadn't necessarily seen a whole lot of that from Alistair when he was with Nashville. And obviously with the Canadian team, he typically plays as a right center back, but he's really adapted. I mean, it took a few matches, of course, it did. It's entirely normal that that, that that be the case, but he's, he's adapted really well. Obviously he has really good connections to a lot of the players who are already in the squad, like Sam Piet, Kamal Miller, Joel Waterman, James Pantemis, and like the whole litany of Canadians. <laughs> um, so he already had a good in there. Um, he did live in Montreal as well for a little bit. Which, so he does have kind of some, some basic rusty French that he's, he's working really hard on. Bless him. Um, no, it, it's been a fantastic signing. He, he really has, um, in my opinion, you know, it's still early days, but he's worth every penny uh, of Gam Tam that <laughs> Montreal paid for him. You mentioned that he's playing a little bit more of a right wing back role rather than right center back or, or as a, a fullback as he mostly played for Nashville. A big part of what Nashville felt like they weren't getting from that position was a little bit more attack. Obviously, his first goal um, scored over the weekend. But what has he been able to add to his game to be able to fit in as a, as a role that requires a little bit more going forward? So he's he 
one thing I think I would probably start by saying is that um, the way Montreal's playing this year, um, it's a similar starting formation to what they played last year, but mm-hmm. there's a little bit more fluidity when they're in possession. So it kind of becomes more of a 4-3-3, um, which means that there is coverage behind him because the, the center backs will spread out a bit wider, which wasn't necessarily the case last year. Uh, it kind of felt like that was lacking. So he does have a lot more license and he doesn't necessarily have quite as much responsibility because the center backs have adapted um, a lot better, but he's actually improved on his crossing a lot. Um, I didn't see a lot of crosses out of him with Nashville. Um, I don't know if it was a big part of his game, but he's developed some really, some really important crosses to, to, promising spots where, where the striker actually is in the box, which is also sometimes half the battle for Montreal. <laughs> um, so definitely that as well. Uh, we noticed this particularly in the match with Charlotte. Uh, Joaquin Torres is typically the starting player on kind of the, the right wing, kind of in a in the 3-4-2-1, if you will. Uh, and he and Alistair Johnson had a really, really good um, like interchange back and forth in between each other it was really stuck out in this particular match versus, uh, versus Charlotte. So I think also developing that chemistry with the attacking players. Uh, speaking of those attacking players, Georgie Mihailovic has just been unbelievable. Um, getting service from guys like Alistair, but also creating and, and providing his own service. He's, he's on most people's lists, I believe, for early MVP candidate. Um, he's, he was good last year, certainly. Um, he's great this year. What has been the key to his brilliance? One thing that Georgie has improved a lot on is he runs into the box. Now he continues the run so that if a guy like Ramel Kyoto, for example, is drifting out wide, as we saw in his goal um, this weekend, there, there's somebody in the box that Kyoto doesn't feel obligated to, to finish at like, you know, a three degree angle, um, which, which he can do, but he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to do that. There's somebody else, but a lot of, a lot of Mihalovic's goals so far this season have been essentially tap-ins because He's finishing the run after he distributes a ball to a, to a player who is going to perhaps cross it in or, or play the pass so that he runs off the shoulder, whatever it may be. So it, it's really seeing the, the attacking action through to the very end. Um, that's his, his biggest improvement as well. I know he said himself that he had focused a lot on his finishing mm-hmm. um, and making sure that a higher percentage of his shots hit the target. So I think a, a lot of just self-discipline as well. <laughs> Well, you, you mentioned Kyoto there. Obviously, a lot of MLS fans remember him. He's, he's been a longtime MLS player. But who are some of the other attacking pieces that have allowed Georgie to, to you know, he's scored six goals, yes, but he also has four assists. He's been that creator as well as that finisher. Who has kind of been the complementary pieces that have helped him be the all-around player that he is? So, obviously, Kai Kamara uh, signed mm-hmm. late in the offseason for Montreal, and he's somebody, I think, practically every defender who's been in the league longer than, you know, just the season knows who Kai Kamara is, and he's, you know, he's in top five scoring in MLS all-time history for a reason. He, he knows where to, where to be and, and how to put the ball in the net. So, having a guy like him, if Kyoto's not on the field, occasionally they're together, but not often having a guy like him to, to make the defense a little bit more worried as well with King Torres, who I mentioned earlier, uh, he has a lot of defensive or a lot of offensive trickery, a lot of dribbles, a lot of fancy footwork. 
Um, so he can definitely keep the, the defenders occupied. And uh, Ismail Kone is kind of your, your, your free-floating guy, uh, mm -hmm. uh, playing a bit of an eight role, but he definitely loves to get forward as well. And especially with his strong start to the season, I think uh, a lot of players in the league have, have woken up and started focusing on him as well. So many people have woken up to this Montreal team, and, and it's unfair. And I think Nashville can relate to this a little bit too, in that some of these markets that aren't, your, you know, traditional, you know, standout MLS markets. Everybody always wants to talk about your New Yorks, your LAs, your original teams get, can get the short end of the stick just a little bit. Do you think people are finally waking up to Montreal? They're top of the East, a third of the way through the season. Um, and if not, what's it going to take? I feel like certainly the, you know, the, the coaches around the league, um, when we, when we hear coaches discuss Montreal prior to playing them or just after that, they're often very complimentary of the, the tactics and the system that Nancy's put in place. And of course the, the players buying into it as well. The, the league certainly seems, it seems into Montreal, you know, they're, yeah. they're making not just the footnotes of the articles anymore. They are, <laughs> uh, they are they're taking up space and uh, people are noticing and, and saying Montreal seems to have what it takes to be a contender this year. And this is really the first time I think I've ever heard people on the outside, sort of people who aren't located right here, referring to Montreal in, in, in a positive way and, and as vociferously as they are this year. Well, you mentioned Nancy's um, kind of tactical tweaks that he's kind of implemented this year, as well as mentioning him just there in terms of what he's been able to develop. What has he been able to develop? What is different from, I guess, what was expected when Thierry Henry was the coach? And, and what has he brought that's allowed this team to, to reach these levels? Mm -hmm. so one of the big things, I think, was getting the three center backs, because that was definitely the preferred formation, was getting the three center backs in place, figuring out who was best where, and then making sure that they, they were able to develop that chemistry together. Um, so last year, Kamal Miller came in and I, that he fit the left center back position like a glove. Um, Rudy Camacho, who re-signed late in the season or late in the preseason, my apologies. Um, he isn't a super mobile player, but he is very communicative and very um, general like a lot of people do now refer to him as that. So he can kind of direct traffic a bit and then. Montreal did start the season with Kiki Struna, who was on an incredibly high salary last year um, and did not resign this year. But Joel Waterman of the of the Canadian Premier League has come in and kind of stolen that that third right center back spot. He's not super mobile guy either, but they they've balanced each other out really well because Kamal Miller loves to maraud up forward from time to time. And then um the right wing back or sorry the left wing back position um the left wing back position has been problematic for montreal honestly the entire time it's not it's in my opinion, opinion where montreal is by far the weakest um mm. right now last year line is starting there but with wilfred nancy um being more willing to adjust the fourth the three four three so that it becomes more of a four three three when the team is in possession Lapalainen's able to go forward and be the winger that he actually is uh, without as much defensive responsibility. A lot of the time when poor Lassie, when he, uh, when he, when he makes a defensive block or whatever it may be, it's almost like he's caught by surprise <laughs> that he's done it. And I'm like, Oh, you poor thing. Um, but he, he's trying his best out there. He, he does, he does run up and down that wing. Um, he, he logs typically some of the highest kilometers per game. So mm. power to him. Um, 
but definitely I think the flexibility at the back when Montreal's in and out of possession has, has just been a godsend for this team. Um, for so- our listeners, those are, those are like miles, but a little shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Divide it. Yeah. Multiply it by one or no divided by 1.6 and you'll get your miles. <laughs> yeah. Whenever we can, I'm like, ah, oh, I got like a hundred kilometers. It's a long way. No, that's like eight miles. It's quick. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Nashville and Montreal typically this year have employed similar shapes, the 3-5-2-3-4-3 look. If if indeed both teams do go with identical shapes on Wednesday, is there a battle that you're watching that you think will be crucial to deciding this match? Oh my gosh, there's so many battles. Um obviously I'm gonna be watching what uh Alistair Johnson's up to. I assume he's gonna be starting. You know, we had a little bit of concern for him having a knock, but it seems to be all right. I was going to say Hani Mukhtar but, um, versus Victor Wanyama, but he started on the bench. Is he okay? Just Yeah, he went 100, almost 120 minutes in the U.S. Yeah. Open Cup against Atlanta. So it was, you know, we'll see if he starts Wednesday. But, I mean, I, I, would, I would say safe chance he's, he's probably back in after rotating out and getting 45 minutes of rest against Houston. Yeah, I, I would love to see Victor Wanyama um, work really hard to shut him down. Um, because for me, Hani Mukhtar is one of the scariest players in the league. And I feel like not enough people talk about him. <laughs> um, and then likewise as well, uh, Dax McCarty versus Georgie Mihailovic. Of course, they played together at Chicago. Yeah. Um, so I think that's always a really interesting battle in the center of the pitch. And oh gosh, who would be starting at striker, do you think, on Wednesday? Because there's practically anyone yeah typically been been sapong again yeah. we'll see what rotation does in a short congested slate but if you're putting money on somebody usually sapong oh yeah yeah because he loves to get his head on the ball doesn't he yes oh, he does gosh. yeah okay then in that case i'd say either kamal miller or rudy camacho probably the both of them really um versus uh versus cj sapong uh yeah. Yeah, I like Kamal make sure. a lot. Kamal's another one of those young guys who's really, really started to come into his own. And old buddies with Alistair. I think he mentioned that even when it was, it was Nashville versus, uh, well, I guess it was Montreal last year, or maybe yeah. it was Orlando two years ago, that Alistair was like, oh, yeah, me and Kamal, we're going to be trash talking all game long. <laughs> yeah. Now they don't, have, they don't trash talk. They're, they're encouraging each other, I'm sure. They, they trash talk that. together instead of trash talking. Right. They tag team it. Oh, gosh. Oh, poor, poor teammates. <laughs> And that's as far as we want to go into talking about the Canadian national team also, where those two play together, because that's still a little bit bitter around here. But fortunately, oh, everybody qualified, so everybody's happy. And my son's yeah. going to have two teams to support at the World Cup. It's awesome. That's right. And I watch guess, out. <laughs> I guess we will ask you about that then. Enthusiasm for, for the game has to be at an all-time high in Canada. I know you're in a very strong nucleus of soccer culture in Montreal that was strong well before Canada was any good at, at, at international soccer, but are you seeing that ground, groundswell of enthusiasm nationally and, and even in Montreal around the national team carry over into um, into MLS as well? Big time. Um, the, the entire nation has woken up to Montreal, or Montreal, the entire nation has woken up to the Canadian t- national team um, as well. Of course, the, the women's team had a strong summer um, winning yeah. the Olympic gold medal. Right. So that was really kind of a good precursor to the performances of the men's national team um, over the fall in the, the final qualifying window, the octagon, if you will. And so many of the players on the team have stories that so many Canadians can relate to, whether they were born here, whether they chose Canada as their team because they moved to Canada. Some players have come as refugees, some have just you know naturally immigrated. Um, 
and they're just a very charming bunch you know they, they all have very very humble stories um very interesting and unique backgrounds uh john herdman is like the super intense uh, hype man uh, motivational coach you know so absolutely it feels like there's almost something for everybody in that team like you can find a player to whom you can relate and you share something in common with um which is which is so nice um it's so nice to to see and really thrilled the the games are now selling out within minutes mm-hmm. you know and they were wow. giving they could not give tickets away previously uh and i so desperately hope montreal would get one but unfortunately montreal <laughs> pulled out of world cup 2026 bidding uh, well come on down to nashville and watch a game here. <laughs> yes <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> fingers crossed <laughs> don't even yo you know your stadium is so beautiful completely yeah. it's got to be a shoe in i think it has to be well last one from me which is a lot of people around Major League Soccer talk about <clears throat> how important it is for the United States to get back to the World Cup after missing uh, the 2018 edition. How right. has the rise of, of the Canadian national team helped Montreal or, or possibly, I guess, even, um, you know, TFC or Vancouver, but mostly Montreal in terms of, of just building buzz around the sport that, th- that can then kind of be taken advantage of by the club? So always helps when Italy doesn't make it in Montreal because <laughs> we do it's a really situation there yeah yeah we there is a really large italian community here in montreal um so that certainly helps and then carlo Ancelotti said he might be interested in coaching canada someday <laughs> so you never know wow uh yeah actually his wife is canadian um so yeah um but no it, it's been a big boost for sure obviously um kind of the political identity and national identity i guess if you were in quebec is a little bit different from the rest of Canada because Quebec does um, kind of identify as a nation within Canada uh, for one of the ways you keep that short (laughs) but it's been a long time since there's been an independence referendum so yeah no I know but there's always talks you never know you never know Um, but it's it's been really cool to see you know bars have had lots of watch parties and then of course it's great for the team to say for CF Montreal to say, look, you want to come see these guys who just, you know, walloped the U.S. Um, ca- come on over to Stad Saputo, tickets are dirt cheap, <laughs> and you can see Kamal Miller and Alistair Johnson and Sam Piet um, at, on a, basically on a weekly basis if you want. Uh, no, there, there's been lots of jerseys. I've seen lots of Canadian jerseys around, even on people I don't necessarily associate as being soccer people, um, just general sports people. I've seen them in, in Canada soccer jerseys which are so hard to get so i'm like how how did you pull that off um i would say canada or sorry montreal was able to host a canadian women's uh celebration friendly after that and i think if they if they were able to host a a men's game even just a friendly soon i think um it would definitely help uh, bring a lot more people to stead saputo both for the national team and then for for the club as well well, I'm hoping for that for you after following your journeys a couple of times over, I believe, to Toronto, including for that clinching match. So hopefully they can come to you uh, here here one of these days. Thank you so much, Eve, for your time. How can people follow your work? So my podcast, uh, The Ball is Round. It can be found at TBIR Montreal. And I myself can be found at EveJulia9 on Twitter. We also have an Instagram under the same handle. And... We typically record on Sundays. This week we're recording on Monday, but 
Um, typically we record on Sundays and we keep it live and interactive. If ever you want to join and tell us what you think or feel, or if you disagree with anything I just said. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. A vulnerable place to put yourselves, but awesome and great way to continue the conversation about uh, soccer in a growing soccer country. Uh, Eve, thank you so much for your time. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me guys. Take care. So, Tim, Montreal's so interesting to me because it's a group that that is not going to get the share of the minutes on league-wide podcasts, a share of the words, league-wide coverage. They kind of get lost up there in Quebec, uh, and they don't play always like the, the most brand-name players or soccer, mm-hmm. Didier Drogba notwithstanding, um, and Thierry Henry on the... I need to reconsider that statement. Um, but... Uh, they're looking really good and it's all led by Georgi Mihailovic, but Alistair has really <laughs> found his groove there as well. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you mentioned front of the pod, Alistair Johnson. I, I believe he was, he might've been the first to be a two-time guest on this pod is either him or Mike Jacobs. I believe have been the only two-time guests if I recall correctly, but um, yeah, but you also mentioned Georgi Mihailovic and he's somebody who I would really like to see, get a shout with the U S men's national team this weekend. So if you are not a Nashville fan, if you are not a Montreal fan, you still want to catch this game. You get a chance to watch Walker Zimmerman against a guy who could be on the fringes of the U.S. men's national team. And, of course, Alistair is, is a stalwart for the Canadian national team nowadays. So you're seeing some of the important players from this region. You might not expect it when you when you turn on a CF Montreal, uh, not impact game, but um, it's going to be an exciting match. And um, obviously what Nashville is able to bring to the table is, is kind of heavily dependent upon the schedule that has seen them so banged up and so, so fatigued. But um, Montreal is going to bring it for sure. They are. It's, uh, it's going to be very interesting. Wednesday night and then Atlanta on Saturday. Moving on to the mailbag. Super Duper Wyatt was the one who said, my question is, can we talk about Wednesday's game but not Saturday's? <laughs> yeah, I said, I said if only, but we are the large sample size podcast. Usually I, I joke that we're the small sample yeah. size podcast, but got to talk about them all. They're the worst kind of Pokemon out there. Got to catch them all. Mm-mm. <laughs> no, Mm-mm. no. I take Pokemon it Pokemon Stop instead of Pokemon Go. I think ah, I never yeah. played it. Sorry. No, I have, it's a, re- it's a reference here. that I make without knowing a whole lot about it. <laughs> same here. Yes. Guilty. Uh, dual questions here. Same subject from Trevor Bryant and uh, our friend, Mike Meredith. We've already mentioned on the show. Um, are depth issues a new issue says Trevor for Nashville SC in 2022, or have they always been an issue in the U S open cup slash injuries are revealing that. And Mike, again, we can all agree. The guys were dog tired from Wednesday. But do we have to worry about depth going forward this year? It's a fair question, especially after Gary Smith alluded to that in his post-game press conference. I would say depth is an issue for just about any club that's suffering injuries while playing six matches in 18 days. Um, you know, Anibal Godoy out, hopefully working his way back to health, but he's been out with a knock. Teal Bunbury, of course, has been out for a while. Randall Leal still injured after getting hurt in the RSL match. Uh, you go 120 minutes instead of 90 in midweek. That probably impacts a couple moves that Gary made Saturday, as I referenced earlier. Uh, keep in mind, there are only five midweek matches scheduled for the rest of the season, um, including the upcoming U.S. Open Cup match, but obviously not potential additional cup matches. There could be a, a few more. So this is not an issue you know, in, in terms of congestion that's going to haunt Nashville uh, much the rest of the year. For me, the question is not primarily depth. Uh, it's it's the quality of the, of the players who, on paper at least, are high quality enough to give you that depth. Uh, can Nashville's reserves do what they've been signed to do? Ake Loba, of course, the subject of much discussion uh, about whether he can live up to his potential and certainly his paycheck. Luke Hawkinson, Eric Miller. The club's deep enough, I think, to withstand either injuries or a congested schedule. But unless those guys start clicking, 
Probably not deep enough to withstand both and get the points they want to get. I would say very few clubs are, though. Look at Seattle, who I know they've been busting it in CCL in the hardest possible games probably in this continent, but they were 13th in the table before beating Minnesota and starting to recover from that squad congestion. Even Montreal struggled early before really getting getting on fire. New England still hadn't recovered. Uh, NYCFC, they're great now. They weren't early. Um, with that said, though, Tim, only Philadelphia has played fewer players this season than Nashville's 20, so... If, if people want to point to depth as an issue, I would say, sure. I, I just I don't know that it's a fatal flaw that's going to just derail this team's chances of having a good season. Yeah, I don't think the depth would be an issue in a vacuum, but having to go to extra time on Wednesday was an issue. Um, 90 minutes for Hani Mukhtar back-to-back is very different from his having to come off in the first game because he's played 113 minutes and literally can't run anymore. But when you mentioned teams like Seattle, um, I think that's important to keep in mind. Seattle had, had a very poor start to the MLS season. Seattle has a trophy in their trophy cabinet <laughs> in exchange for it. I think that's something that when we look forward to the U.S. Open Cup, it's it's a decision that Gary Smith is going to have to make. Do we go for the trophy and, and maybe sacrifice some results along the way? Jay Oz, has Nashville been lucky with injuries until now? Or are we at DEFCON 2 with Ake Loba? I wouldn't say they've been particularly lucky with injuries until now, maybe slightly above average luck, but kind of well within the normal bounds of what you would expect from an MLS team. The problem is now that they're suddenly unlucky with injuries and, and the way that they're stacking up at certain positions. Um, there's depth in the central midfield, but but don't you think that Anibal Godoy would have gotten at least 100-some minutes this week if he'd been available? Um, lack of control in the midfield was a huge issue against Houston. If you have if you have both he and Dax McCarty available for both of those games, it, it kind of changes the story. Um, then the fact that the other injuries have come at the same position group, Bunbury and Leal at, at forward slash wing, that hurts, especially when Ake Loba isn't performing. And that brings me to your second question. Um, I think the problem with Loba is not that he's bad, though we're well within, I think, fair to say that he's not as good as we might have expected before he came in. But his style of play is really not conducive to road matches right now because he's boomer bust. He's either going to turn it over or do something spectacular, and you can't weather those turnovers as well on the road. More time is going to see him kind of settle in with the team and become a valuable member of it, but I know it, I know it's frustrating. But it's something that is just going to take time. And, and obviously, we didn't expect it was going to take this amount of time. But the fact that it is doesn't mean that you need to completely give up on it. And so it's gotten to the point now where we don't necessarily even know everything he can do on the pitch because he's not given himself the chance to have consistent minutes. And so Chris Hole asking a fair question, you know, is Ake a natural finisher? He's been a designated PK taker for his past clubs, yet he sometimes seems hesitant to shoot from open play, always a step too late or one too many touches. Yeah, it kind of goes back to the same thing. I think he's been too prone to shoot at the first sign of space, and he's overcorrected that since, since it's it's become a, a situation where he was getting criticized for that. Um, when you look at it, though, it earned Nashville SC a penalty by being a little bit hesitant this week. It's just, again, that's the sort of thing that when he figures out the chemistry, when he figures out what his role is going to be and what his role needs to be within the club, it's something that he's going to improve and figure out how to best execute what the club needs out of him. I think there have been signs of promise from him at home, even even not necessarily from finishing, but through build-up. And I think the more he builds up and, and links play, he's going to put himself in chances to show off what he can do uh, in, in his finishing. Uh, Jay Oz and Stukes uh, addressing the right-back situation. Jay, do we still have a chance at signing Shaq Moore and Stukes? Be hugging and be concise. Uh, <laughs> Right-back, he asks. Uh, let's talk a little about Alex Wheel um, and, and how he's done filling in in that right-wing-back role moving back from a, a more traditional right midfield, right wing role where he's more comfortable. He was the third lowest player on the pitch for NSC in Houston, uh, behind even Eric Miller, which I found just a little bit uh, interesting from that right wing back position. With that said, 
Gary Smith told us that the Philadelphia draw was his best game as a wingback uh, since mm-hmm. moving to that position. So he's shown recent promise. This season, he's won 56% of his duels, which is something he's going to be asked to do when those 50-50s track back. He's done that pretty well. Third highest tackles plus interceptions per 90 of regular starters. Some of that a function of just playing that position, obviously. Mm-hmm. But but he's done that, I think, fairly well. I, I still, Tim, don't think he's the ultimate answer at that position. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if Nashville was still trying to pursue either a Shaq Moore or or somebody of that ilk. Uh, I mean, only because it was said this offseason that Nashville's yeah. intention was to upgrade, quote-unquote, there. And I don't know that Muel was cast as that upgrade. But I think um, he's held down the position well enough that it's not an emergency, and Nashville didn't go out and sign somebody in that first window just to have a warm body there. Yeah, I've gone on the record as saying I like Alex Muel, and that remains the case. Um, I like I said earlier, though, it seemed like a, a flat four four two with the personnel that Nashville put out rather than kind of shoehorning in wheel as a, as a right wing back would have made more sense. But when you look at the long term of this position, I, I still think it is Shaq Moore. I think he's joining MLS and I think Nashville is the place that he that he hopes slash plans to join. The problem is that you have to wait until July 7th because the window doesn't open until then. It stays open until August 4th. Mm-hmm. Um, Tenerife, the club that he's with and, and the Segunda Liga in Spain, didn't want to unload a starting right back during a promotion battle. Uh, it's frustrating, but you understand why that's the case. And from a Nashville perspective, there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to wait until they're ready to sell. That's yeah, the curse. And we've seen the struggles of integrating somebody quickly into the squad with Yonder Cadiz two years ago and Ake Loba last year. Nashville fans hoping that somebody who's not in an attacking role, so in a right back position, can integrate a little quicker into the team if indeed he is the guy or there's another person to to bring in. Uh, John Mueller, is Gary, if Gary really is going for it for the Open Cup, which game this week should have lower expectations? Montreal, Wednesday, or Atlanta, Saturday? For me, it's Atlanta because of the timing. The team will want to wash a bad taste out of their mouths in their return to Geodis Park against Montreal. Um, you know, there's only one game that comes immediately after the Houston game, and it's Montreal. The Atlanta game also immediately precedes the next U.S. Open Cup match, so they might want to rotate a little bit there. And obviously, as we mentioned um, at the top of the show, there's a little bit of a kind of a different emotional feeling and a different kind of chess game feeling to it, too. It makes sense to take the foot off the gas or, or go for some heavy rotation against Atlanta this time around because you want to maximize your chances of advancing against Louisville City. All fair. I think the counter argument could be that because Lou City is a USL side, maybe you think a B side can get it done well, against them. So is Houston. <laughs> That's fair. That's that's absolutely fair. Absolutely true. You do know no matter what happens against Atlanta, though, good or bad, you're not going to go 120 minutes against them this time. So you'll be a little more rested heading into Louisville, I guess. I'll say Montreal. Um, I think Gary Smith's always going to have his team ready for for a a rivalry match. Um, The Atlanta defense only has two clean sheets all season, and it's proven to be pretty porous. Yes, I know Montreal just has one, but they've played better defense uh, throughout the course of the year. Uh, and I think the way that Montreal is playing is going to pose particular challenges to Nashville legs that will still be fairly tired. Whereas uh, I think the Atlanta match, you know, the fact that it is Atlanta is going to get these players up and motivated just a little bit. Yes, that's feelings ball. I don't know if Tim's <laughs> analytics brain's going to uh, process that very well, but uh, I, I do think the expectations should be much higher for both matches than for what we saw against Houston. If Nashville plays another match that poorly between now and the international break in a couple of weeks, I'd be very surprised. Ryan Frances- Fran, I'm sorry, Ryan Francescan. There we go. Who's your go-to attacking sub now? After seeing a lot of guys get minutes, I know, I know. Small sample size. Yeah. Catching, yes, yes, he gets it. it on. Uh, small sample size plus burgers. Uh, <laughs> but Zubac seemed to gel with the team immediately, while Loba looked out of sync against Atlanta. I've actually really liked Zubac 
too. It, it depends on the circumstances in terms of, of who your go-to sub is going to be, though. If you just want to throw stuff against the wall to get a goal and you, and you don't care if you have a turnover that leads to a goal in your face as you go for it, if you're not playing for a draw slash win, if you're playing for a win slash loss, Loba is still a solid option. Um, if you think that the way to beat the opposing defense is to lump in crosses, Ethan Zubak is a, a better aerial player than Loba. I actually think that a healthy knock, knock on wood, Hendwala Blana is going to provide a bit in terms of creation. But again, it really does depend upon what precisely you need in the given situation. But I think there's there's a little bit more attacking depth. It's a little bit less experience than you would like at this point in the year. Mm-hmm. And I, Gary Smith has nobody to blame but himself for that one to be fair, but I do think there's a bit more attacking talent that can blossom a little bit more as the season goes along. My go-to attacking sub late in matches is Daniel Rios. Oh, boo. He's still around. If he's still around, he's getting, he's getting valuable minutes. However, again, you see the equation that faced Mike Jacobs and you don't blame them for taking the return that Charlotte provided when you had a healthy Teal Bunbury at that point, of course. Um, And then Ake Loba, there was hope and, and still is hope that he will become what he should be. Uh, in all seriousness, give me Loba at home and Zubak on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way Nashville plays on the road, uh, the ability to to have hold up play and be dependable and reliable there. He plays bigger than his six foot frame, I think. Um, Ake Loba at home, I think he's shown that he's very energized by uh, the crowd and has shown more confidence there. And I think I think Loba would be my uh, my choice at at Jodas Park. Wesley Bryant with the best name in the business. Uh, what would you prefer if you had to choose one? Win the U.S. Open Cup, but lose every game played in MLS after a U.S. Open Cup match? Or lose to Louisville, but guaranteed top four in the West finish for the year? So at least one home playoff game. That's a really good question, Wesley. I'm going to pass it off yeah. to Tim. It, it, it caused me to do research, which is how you know that you're excelling in the world Good of mailbag questions. Um, that would mean you lose at Colorado next week um, at DC United, June 25th. You would lose at home to Vancouver. That's the one, July 30th. That's That would not feel good. But you would also lose at home to the Galaxy, who's currently one of the better teams in the West, on September 10th. That's only four more losses over the rest of the year. A, a minimum of eight since Nashville has already lost four times. That still gets you into the playoffs unless unless you're bad, like worse than we have any reason to expect NSC to be in all the other games. <clears throat> and, and more often than not, finishing the year with eight losses probably still nets you a home game. Mm-hmm. I mentioned multiple times now that Gary Smith seemed to choose let's go for the cup over, hey, we're realistically in the Supporters' Shield uh, contention here. I think, I think once you've made that decision once, you might as well keep making it. You could still host a home playoff game even if you are going for the cup, if, if it, even if it means that you guarantee yourself four more regular season losses, if you're good for the rest of the year, you're still in contention for some pretty big things, just no longer supportership. I like your logic. I'm with it. I think as you look at you know the points you would expect to get out of those four that, that Wesley would then automatically give losses for, you're happy with a point in Colorado as is. You probably want three in DC, a team that struggled there. But MLS yeah, but, on the but, road, but away, but away. Yeah, I, Vancouver yeah. three for sure. Yes, no argument. Yeah. Galaxy, I think you're probably cool with a draw of that team, you yeah. know, even at home. So, I, in my equation, that's eight points that you're mm-hmm. scratching off the board. The difference there is is probably what fourth to sixth, fourth mm-hmm. to like it's it's not drastic enough. I I'm with you. I think you go for yeah. the cup. You you get the continental competition feather in your cap, and the mentality of this club has always been. Look, we want to finish as high as we can, but ultimately 
get to the playoffs and it's a game of chance whether you finish first or seventh as we've seen so many times in this league so and, and you. if you have faith in yourself to win four more u.s open cup games you probably have faith in yourself to win a lot of games in, in the the remainder of the 34 that are left and and that aren't those four games that we mentioned you have faith in yourself to play well enough to to make the playoffs to make a home game and to be near the top of the Western Conference. I'm totally with you. And it's about the message you send to your team at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we went all in, but uh, now we're going to take a step back because you guys yeah. couldn't handle league play. No, <laughs> you can handle it. You just had a bad yeah. day in the yeah. heat and humidity of, of Houston with four starters either injured or rotated. Okay, not going to happen again. That's that's what I say. I don't mm-hmm. know if it may happen again, but that's the mentality that you that you instill, I think. Jay Robinson seems like Nashville's toward the bottom of the league in many attacking stats. Goals minus XG, shot creating, actions, etc. Is this an issue? Is it just a game state thing? Is it the imbalance between home and away games? Man, Jay, you crushed it because you, you named a few of the things that I was that I was going to mention here. <laughs> Small sample size, um, game state. And yes, I think the biggest thing is that it's not a representative sample. Nashville has played a lot more away games than home games. And finally, I think when you kind of add it all together, one thing that you really want to keep in mind is some of the stats that Nashville is doing poorly and are, are not ones that worry me. Goals minus XG is kind of a measure of luck in a lot of ways. Yes, there's there's a skill component to finishing, but it's not nearly as important as racking up the XG in the first place. That is far more important than, than kind of converting at what you would expect to be the rate. So as long as Nashville continues playing the way um, that all non-Houston games have been played, I think you're pretty happy with it because when they come back home to Geodis Park um, as, as early as tomorrow, if you're listening to this the day that it comes out, I think that the season is going to go pretty well. And I think that the attacking uh, stats are going to really pick up pretty quickly. I would like to propose that by the international break, which is three more league matches plus the road trip to Louisville, that we strive to have enough certainty in some areas of our analysis that we can bring you know, a show that says, here's what Nashville is. Here's what we know, because then you've got two more home games. It's still going to be a somewhat small sample size at home. It's going to be for a while until that that evens out. But I think, you know, I'm with you that we still don't know a ton yet. Maybe we know a little more in three matches, Montreal, Atlanta, Colorado, plus the U.S. Open Cup, where we can sit here during the national break and say, here's what we don't know. Here are the things that we conclusively can determine based on what we have seen. Mm -hmm. Um, Stats don't work that way. You can't just force certainty. The sample size is what it is, but but maybe there are some areas where we can make some definitive statements there because I'm with you right now. It's still tricky. Yeah. It's certainly not fair to look at a team in the bottom half of the league and some of those attacking stats and say, ah, when that team has scored five goals now in three matches at home uh, and, and looks really, really much brighter. Six goals, sorry, six goals in three matches at home and, and really started, I think, to turn around that attacking calculus. Yeah, and I, I think it was last week that, that somebody asked us, what do we know and what do we not know? Mm-hmm. And I said, if, if something completely flies in the face of what our preseason expectations were, let's make sure that we get a bit more sample size. If something kind of goes along with what we thought, with what we have kind of from our educated guesses before the season and the, and the data supports that we, we were right all along, maybe it's, maybe it's something that, that you do need more sample size still, but you have reason to believe that it's going to continue in the same vein that it was last year as well. So from our dive inside Nashville SC, let's go outside in now, and we're going to take a a broad look around Major League Soccer, something we've really not done here in a while. We're going to assess each conference, uh, count down the teams that are in playoff position, and then ask in each case who's going to move up, who's going to move out. Uh, So first we'll start, of course, in the West, where Nashville is just below the playoff line after the loss in Houston. LAFC leads the way, followed by the two Texas teams, 
Dallas and Austin, Galaxy in fourth. So the top four teams this year so far didn't make the playoffs <laughs> a year ago. California, Texas. About, making up check this out. Five of the top six, too. <laughs> uh, right, because Houston's in sixth. Salt Lake sandwiched in fifth there. And Colorado Rapids, last year's Western Conference regular season winner in seventh place. A lot of candidates here, Tim, I think, to move up and down. I will put any amount of money on the fact that these will not be close to what the standings look like at the end of the year. Yeah, Austin's going to fade a little bit now that the JV portion of their schedule is over, but I do think they'll still finish inside the playoff field. Um, Saturday didn't do a whole lot to convince me that Houston is the real deal. Um, They have terrible underlying numbers, and Steve Clark is only going to save them so much. But they can stay afloat and maybe wait for Hector Herrera to arrive in the summer window. They may be fine in that regard. In terms of who's going to move up, I'm actually a a Colorado Rapids believer. Um, They were... They were the first team in the West last year, and um, they're built essentially the same way. They added a bit more talent than you might expect a, a famously cheap <laughs> front office to to sign. And I think you know they, if they stick the course, it'll maybe be a similar path to what they did last year. And Seattle would seem to be the low-hanging fruit answer there as well, yeah. right? Yeah. They've never not finished top four. That might be a stretch this year. That was but... like too. That was like too obvious for me, almost. Right? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, what color is the sky? You can't say blue. Rave green. Yeah, <laughs> it is there for sure. Eastern Conference, uh, the top of the table team coming to Nashville. Second time, by the way, now yeah. that Nashville's hosted the best team in the East uh, in, in three home matches uh, in regular in uh, in league play. Montreal first, Orlando second, Philadelphia third, but has the best points per game and goal differential uh, because... MLS goes by wins and not the things that matter. Um, it's kind of stupid. Um, and it wins matter, but you know, yeah. it double counts wins. We've talked ad nauseum yeah. about that. Uh, FC Cincinnati is fourth. They'd won three of their previous 33 and they've won four straight. Now we'll get to them probably in a minute. Red Bulls fifth NYC sixth, Atlanta seventh. So many things are going to happen in the Eastern conference too, Tim. Yeah, I think Philly and Red Bulls are, are a fair shout for best in the East. And I don't think right now that anybody is particularly close to them, honestly. Um, th- I know that's not what the table says, but that's hmm. kind of the point of the segment, right? Um, New York City, I think probably will get there as long as Tati Castellano stays in the summer window. I think they'll be right there with those two. But, um, you know, Cincinnati is going to drop. But... I think Cincinnati is good enough to remain in the playoff field. Wow. Um, they, they are getting incredible play out of Lucho Acosta week after week. They're not going to prevent a ton of goals, but they're outscoring folks a lot. So um, the team that I think is, is really, really going to drop like a rock, Orlando. They've recovered a little bit lately, but their underlying stats are not kind. They were terrible to start the year, as was Cincinnati, but they were, it kind of felt a little bit more hopeless for Orlando than it did for Cincinnati of all teams. So I do think Orlando's going to drop quite a bit. Yeah, Orlando's, Orlando's second in the table. They've been outscored this season though mm-hmm. <laughs> uh you mentioned underlying numbers which goes beyond just you know goal differential but they only scored four the goal differential is important if you if you're if you it pull matters. up the no, sure. if you pull up the table and look you want to know who's overachieving and who's underachieving goal differential is the closest thing that you have from a from a conventional table to tell you who's actually good yeah very fair and lafc meanwhile had a freakishly poor uh goal minus xg last year just mm-hmm. just terrible XG had them like almost top of the table. They missed yeah, the playoffs. Yeah. So it was them in NYC year. and NYC finished, I think fourth or fifth in the, in the East yeah. too. Yeah. And of course with, with the team you were pointing at all year long is watch yeah. out for these guys in the playoffs. They're better than their numbers, uh, better than their, uh, than Conventional their table position. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, LAFC making up for that in a big way this year, top <laughs> of, uh, of the West. All right. Final whistle time. 
Uh, I'm on a slide, man. I'm back to eighth now in the four. Oof, tough, league. tough. I'm trying to rework my tactics. You know, the congested schedule really has me. <laughs> uh, the hard part is this. When Nashville plays a night game on a Saturday, um, I'm not able to really check my lineup. I'm, I'm there in the studio or, or in the booth three hours before the game, and I'm busy. I'm prepping. I'm not checking my fantasy team at that point. So if there are a bunch of matches kicking off and you know the hour or two before Nashville kicks off, I'm not checking to see who's in. Uh, so I've gotten some DNPs that way. Tati Castellanos last week, this week Tavon yeah. Gray. Uh, so it's just it's a tough place to be. You know what though? I'm not going to make excuses. I've got to choose a better bench. I got to lean on my squad depth, and I've not done that very well. So from uh, from third a few weeks ago back to eighth, but Tim's up to 25th and making a run. Uh, it's it's. It's a slow process for us. We're a second half team, second half of the season team. We'll see how we do. This is certainly the deepest into a year I've ever made <laughs> while remembering to set my lineup for more than half the weeks. So, so, so hopefully, hopefully we'll continue climbing. Barely more than half the weeks though this year. It's not been not been terribly <laughs> frequent for you, but but good. Um glad, but glad actually the surgery. fact that we talk about it in most episodes, I'm like, okay, Monday afternoon, pull back the curtain. That's when we record most of the time. Monday afternoon. That's when I'm going to remember to set my lineup for the following week. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, content recommendations. I've got one, and it's Tim. Uh, hey. It's uh, an awesome interview. So I've talked before on this show that, about the fact that Lamestream Sports is a show that I really enjoy. Also the second on the best Sports podcast Network. It, it is. It absolutely is. Um, and uh, Steve Cavendish, Braden Gall always do a great job asking really penetrating questions of journalists in town. And Tim got his turn in the rotation uh, this past Friday. Uh, so look it up in your feed, Lamestream Sports. Really good interview, uh, Tim. I'm not just saying it because you're my podcast partner. Again, this is a sh- <laughs> I've listened to. They had Mel Kuyper on the week before. I enjoyed that one as well. Uh, talking yeah, they about slummed, They slummed it with stuff. Mel before they got the big dog, huh? That's, that's right. Yep, <laughs> exactly. They upgraded big time to you. Don't know how they're going to follow it up. Uh, but it was, it was really good um, talking about the challenges of covering um, you know, Virginia Tech recruiting and football and then, you know, turning the page and accidentally writing Nashville SC in those gamers. Or <laughs> Which I do. Tech I, in the Nashville that was SC not a joke. Games. I do that, like, especially when I'm writing, like, a, a morning content item on Club and Country and then I go to do actual work. I'm like, ah, oh, it's a race boys in gold and put Hokies Watch in. Watch for those Hokies in gold. Uh, don't <laughs> yeah. just do the, the find replace. It can be dangerous. Um, but it was really it was really good. It was tremendous um, conversation, too, about where soccer media is headed, the challenges of, of you know, covering this team versus others he's covered in other sports. It, it was very, very thorough and interesting. And uh, we talk about a lot of those things here, but Tim goes deeper on those topics in that interview. And I recommend it again, lamestream sports, great work. And just ignore the part where they tease me for how devastated I am that I've not been interviewed <laughs> on there yet. Just, just pass that, pass that. My content recommendation is something that I haven't even actually finished reading yet. It just dropped on Monday. That is StatsBomb's upgrading expected goals piece. You and I talk quite a bit about how expected goals are meaningful but flawed. And, and StatsBomb is, uh, I think, at the forefront of, of the big data collecting companies. We've talked about them before. Opta is one, and, and StatsBomb is probably the, the second biggest one at this stage. And mm-hmm. they are working to make expected goals even more meaningful as they have different types of data available to them, goalkeeper position, opponents positions. And it's something that they want to quantify finishing, which uh, it, via traditional XG models is is non-existent for the most part. It's luck. I mentioned that already in, in response to a mailbag question, but they want it to be more than that. They want, they want to make it meaningful. And it's something that is obviously uh, not an easy nut to crack. And I'm, I'm excited to see how they plan to do some of that stuff. I've um, not heard your rationale for your explanation 
sorry, I've been reading the first few paragraphs of that story. <laughs> uh, I've got it looked up here as well. I, I'm going to bookmark this because it is, it's cool for people who appreciate this show. And if you've been listening as far as you have on this one, you do. Um, it, it's, uh, it's a really, really cool look, at least an initial blush here of, um, of how we can get a better picture even than XG currently provides. Uh, so yeah, check it out for sure. And, uh, continue to check out clubcountryusa.com. What you got coming up on the site here, Tim, anything good? Oh man, when, when the games are coming fast and furious, it's a lot of, uh, preview preview and then game story, but, um, uh, probably for the first time in like a year, a links roundup of a lot of interesting stuff, including the stats bomb piece that I'm talking about right now. So, um, yeah, I want to, I always want to bring up some of the stuff that doesn't get talked about enough and and hopefully I'll have the time this week to do some of that. All right. Bookmark, bookmarking that as well. Look forward to, uh, to checking out your site, checking out two matches this week, Montreal, Wednesday, Atlanta on Saturday, and be sure you go by ML Rose. At my rate, you can go six times between now and then. You should definitely go at least once. Uh, thanks to Moon Taxi for the music. Thanks to 440 Sports Network for giving us microphones. Hop on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, give us each a follow on Twitter, all the good things, so you can continue to stay on top of what's happening in Nashville soccer, especially now that there are so many home games at Jodas Park. All right, have a great week. All right.